Let's bow our heads for prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. For by him, your grace and your mercy are applied to our lives so that we live as your redeemed children, forgiven and renewed the power of the word and the spirit each and every day. We thank you that you have equipped us to live for you in this world and no longer for ourselves. And we pray you would help us to grow in this call that you have laid before us to be your children and to impact the world with your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Word of God on many occasions reminds us to seek the Lord, to seek the Lord while he may be found, to seek after his kingdom and his righteousness. But it's really God who first of all seeks us. He is passionate about who we are as his, as his children. He's the one that provides us with his word of promise. He's the one who sent his son Jesus Christ into this world. And he invites us to follow that path that he lays out before us. We have a God who is passionate about each and every one of us, writing his name on our hearts and our lives in the waters of baptism and reminding us time and time again that he is our God and we are his people. We have a God who not only seeks us, but a God who loves us, who loves us so much that, that he sent his son to die for us, a God who loves us unconditionally just the way we are. He's not the kind of God who says, I'll love you if you do this or that. In that way, we can relate to him. We also deal with other people in our lives that we love unconditionally. After all, most of us who have children or nieces or nephews or grandchildren don't say, I'll love you if. We might say, I'll take you to an isotopes game if. But we don't put qualifications on our love. We love simply because. And that's the way God is with us, loving us unconditionally and providing for us the gift of redemption in his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, he saves us. We're not saved by what we do or how we live, but rather by a Christ, a Savior who died for us on the cross to wash away the multitude of our sins. And it's with this understanding of who God is and what he's done for us that Paul writes his words to, to the people of Colossae. In the latter half of our reading today, he says this, 
And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. See, we understand how God loves us and how he redeems us so that what? So that we may walk worthy. That is, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Wow. You see, one of the downfalls, and I don't know if it's a downfall, but it's, it's one of these things that sometimes I think it's a trap that we fall into. It's this idea that because Jesus died for us, that we can live any way we want. Because you see, it's been hammered into our heads that we're not saved by what we do, and that is so true. But because it's so true, then we think that we don't have to do anything. We kind of take it for granted and we think we can live how we want. It's kind of like at my house with now two teenage boys living under my roof. The food just magically appears in the refrigerator. And the laundry automatically gets done. They just have to live. Until all of a sudden, the refrigerator and the cupboards are empty and we hear those infamous words, there's nothing to eat. Well, why don't you come grocery shopping with me and learn how it all happens? Lord, I have your grace and your mercy. Yes, but I've also called you to live in a manner that's worthy of that grace and that mercy. Elsewhere, Paul says this, and you've heard these words before, but I keep saying them over and over again because they're so important that we live no longer for ourselves, but for Christ who died for us. And that's a challenge for us. Because you see, our sinful nature keeps getting in the way and we want to keep living our own way and life on our terms and we fall into the patterns of the world. I remember one time somebody said to me, well, we need to go to church this morning, it's Jesus time. They were well-meaning, but the phrase struck me as kind of funny. It's Jesus time. Well, wait a minute. Jesus time. What's all the other time? Who's that belong to? Does it belong to you? Does it belong to the world? What's the rest of the time belong to? 
But that's kind of the way we think, isn't it? That, that it's church time and we, we live our life here in the church world and then we live how we want to in the rest of the world. It's a struggle to be Christ-focused and Christ-centered with the things that we say and the things that we do. To develop those patterns and those behaviors where we respond in a Christ-like manner rather than reacting out of our sinful nature when someone says something or does something. To have in mind the attitude of Christ as we approach different people and the strangers in the world. You see, that what, that's what Jesus is talking about. When this young man comes to him and starts asking questions like, what must I do to be saved? Isn't it interesting that when Jesus answers the question or, and asks the young man, well, what do you think? That it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you got it right. And we're going, wait a minute, this doesn't fit good Lutheran theology because what the answer should have been is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that it's not just our faith, but it's our faith being lived in our lives that's important. It's not simply saying, I believe and trust in Jesus, but it's living it in such a way. We have the religious person, the priest of the day, who sees a man who's been injured, laying on the road. I don't want to get involved. So he walks by. I wonder if he'd been involved if the man was dressed like a priest. And then you get the Levite, who likewise looks at the man and realizes, you know, he's not dressed like me. He doesn't even kind of look Jewish or Lutheran. And so he walks by. It's the Samaritan who doesn't care what the man looks like or what clothes he's wearing or where he's from. He doesn't worry about what color his skin is or whether he's there legally or illegally or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. He sees a need and he begins to meet the need in the life of the person and he takes his time and his money to do it. I firmly believe in this world, if we lived as Christ truly calls us to live, that we would begin to repair the image of Christians that the world has. If we truly began to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves, that people would see Christ in us. The challenge for us is to begin, as I said earlier, to live no longer for ourselves, but for Christ who died for us. And as Paul goes on to say, to bear much fruit. And the bearing of the fruit is not just bringing people to faith. The bearing of the fruit is to live in such a way that people begin to see the hope that we have and understand our own relationship with a loving Savior. 
In other words, that our deeds and our words match up with what we profess. To bear fruit is to live Christ. And to live Christ in such a way that the rest of the world sees him. So that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. To know who Christ is. To understand the price that he paid on a cross, not just for us, not just for the people who look like us or act like us or who worship with us, but he died for the sins of the whole world. That all people might come to the knowledge of salvation. So that we are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and for patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. And that brings me to the question, where is true peace? Where are true joy found? They're not found in the world where we pour so much of our time and our energy into. True peace and joy are found in living for Christ and understanding who we are as his children, understanding that we have salvation because of a Savior who has redeemed us and who has forgiven us, a Savior who's grabbed a hold of our lives and says, you are mine. And we have that peace which passes all of our human understanding because of Christ. And so the challenge before us as Sarah reminded us in the children's message, is to be a neighbor. To be a neighbor to the strangers in our world, the people around us. To be that friend, that one who communicates to them in word and in deed of the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. That's the call he lays upon us. As God seeks us, we seek to share him with others. And as God loves us in Christ, we love others in Christ. And as God extends his salvation to us, we extend his salvation to others. To live for Christ. That's what it's all about. To live the gospel so that we impact lives. It's not walking by, it's not ignoring, but it's taking the time, the effort, the energy, and the resources to get our hands dirty and involved, to live and to share Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God which passes all of our human understanding keep your hearts and minds in the true faith of God in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.